Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. It was a momentous week or fortnight in New York as Carlos Alcaraz made history by becoming the youngest world number one in history and a first-time Grand Slam champion. He came from the brink on many occasions. He was down breaks. He was down match points. And he stunned the world and left us all in awe as his shot-making, his sublime shot-making, his mentality, and his will and determination to win encapsulated the globe. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me as he always does, and we're going to chat about the wonderful Spaniard, the teenage phenomenon that is Carlos Alcaraz. Joel Frucci, how are you, mate? Going well, thanks, Val. I still have not escaped from Alcaraz. I can confirm that. Um, but, mate, what, what's going on? I haven't, uh, haven't seen you on the screen in uh, ages. You've been around the world and back, and uh, you got down on one knee as well. What yeah. a whirlwind few months. Yeah, no, it has it has been. I don't think we've done a show <laughs> since since after Wimbledon. It has been a while. But, um, no, yeah, yeah it's been um, – yeah, was the, the Com Games for work and then um, – and then uh, a little bit of travel after that. Went to London, did a Wimbledon tour there. That was absolutely magical. What a place the All England Lawn Tennis Club oh. is. I hope the next time I'm there, I'm actually watching some tennis. But um, no, the tour was absolutely fantastic. And uh, did a tour of Roland Garros in Paris as well. And that was really interesting. A couple of little tidbits that I didn't really know um, about the French Open. And then uh, and then went off to Rome, day trip to Florence. And then um, Croatia, Dubrovnik. Then a night in Imotski with the family and then um, and then Berlin and then home and uh, stunned my beautiful fiance Rach and uh, and proposed uh, the about six days after we got back everyone was expecting it in Europe but I said no I'm gonna surprise you and I did and her eyes went about four four times uh, bigger than they normally are so uh, so I think I, I think <laughs> I think I got her I think I got her but how are you I I know you injured yourself Joel yeah, well, I actually, I actually did injure myself, and funnily enough, it was playing tennis. Um, <laughs> very, appro- very yeah, appropriate. So, very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, so I got a bit of a uh, just, I got a bit of a forearm sprain at the moment, and I was nursing actually a uh, a cracked forearm bone, but uh, that should heal itself. But um, yeah, the funny thing about it was, uh, was just we were playing on uh, Tuesday night, as uh, as you do, um, out at the uh, the uh, the envy of the world, uh, Preston. And um, yeah, we. <laughs> I think it was. To be honest, I think the funny thing though about it was that it was more out of frustration than anything. And we were sort of down on the on the ropes um, in the final set, and I was uh, uh, I was trying to chase down a drop shot, a very good drop shot, I must say. And I kind of knew I wasn't going to get there, but I ran after it anyway. And sure enough, I didn't get there. And yeah, to make matters worse, like just completely went over. And um, yeah, now I uh, I was actually in the sling for. Uh, just under a week, but yeah, now I can't play for another sort of month. So bloody um, hell, that ended well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're on the mend. Did the opponents come over the net and do the whole sportsmanlike thing and check if you're okay? Or um, yeah, or, no, they they did they as did. they should. Yeah. That's good. Um, did yeah, they, yeah. Now, did, and you, I hope you told them who you were and that it was going to get discussed if they didn't. So uh, I'm uh, I'm glad that they did. Yeah. So very nice of them down in uh, down in Preston. Um, but no, I'm glad you're on the mend. A cracked forearm bone does not sound good. And um, yeah, so it's nice to see you out of a sling. And I've I've seen photos of of you. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's very nice to see you oh. up and about again. So that's good. That's very good. But. We must talk about uh, about what happened at the U.S. Open and unpack everything because it was Carlos. I I, I think that's all we can say. He, I, I'm not. I'm still not quite sure how he did it. 
And it, it was such an unbelievable tournament. The fact that he was able to rally down from from some of the matches that he did and if you look at the if you look at the scoreline there was the the um the quarter sorry the fourth round against Marin Cilic where um he was down a break in the fifth and down 30-15 on Cilic's service game at one love down then there was against Sinner 5-4 down in the fourth set Sinner serving advantage Sinner and um and match point then in the fifth set, 3-2 down, a break and 3-2 down in the fifth set, down 40-15 on Sinner's serve, so close to being 4-2 down. And then in the final against Kasper Ruud, uh, he's down in the third set, set point serving at 5-6, 30-40, wins the point with an insanely good drop volley. Um, the fact that he won all of those games that I just read out and then went on to win the title... <laughs> Backing up three straight five-setters, the first person to do that since Ernest Gulbis in 2018 at, at Wimbledon to win three straight five-setters in a row. He's 19. The fact that he was able to back up those three against Cilic, Sinner, and Tiafo in the semifinals and then beat Kasper Ruud, who was pretty fresh, this kid's got something special. Yeah, indeed he does, Val. And I think the thing that impresses me most about Carlos is not actually the shot making, which is saying something because your shot making is unbelievable, but it's the tank on him. Um, and I say that because uh, we speak a lot of, on this show about the what we thought was going to be the next gen, the likes of Sitipas and Alex Verev and those kind of guys. The, the and, OG next gen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The OG next gen. And most of them haven't been able to do it. Um, they've been able to do it over three against the, the, I guess, the older guys, the more established guys like Djokovic and you know, Rafa and, and, and that, um, but not necessarily over five, consistently at least. Um, Carlos went all the way at the US Open. How many five-setters did he get through? It was unbelievable. That that match against Yannick Sinner was one of the best tennis matches I've seen in, in, in a really, really long time, and I'm so excited to see another 15 years of it. But sort of broadening the net a little bit, um, you know, another thing that we speak about is kind of the changing of the guard and when it's going to happen. And we've kind of sort of thought that it's happened previously, maybe a couple of false dawns. But I think this US Open um, really was this kind of changing of the guard because not only did we have 19-year-old Carlos Alcaraz winning the men's draw, but we saw Iga win the women's side of things again. And obviously, this is this is her third Grand Slam already, but she's still young. She might be world number one and she might be a, a three-time Grand Slam champion, but she's still young. And I just I love the fact that we saw these winners. And I, I think it was really fitting because it was just a fantastic tournament overall. It would have been the youngest combined Grand Slam win in a very long time with both the men's yeah, and the women's. 40, 39? Or oh, might have been might have been 39 40 um yeah, yeah. It, w- it would have been it would have been very young um but going back to what you said about the changing of the guard with with Alcaraz I, I think with the men remember when we thought in 2014 when Vavrinka and Chilich won the Australian and US Open when we said it was the changing of the guard <laughs> that was 8 Next years minute. that was 8 years ago um and look <laughs> the, crazy big, is that? the big 3 still took out three slams this year with Novak and Rafa. So Rafa won two, Novak won. And then at the end, it's been the US Open the last couple of years that we've seen the first time winners. We saw Daniel do it last year and we saw team do it in, uh, in 2020. But it is, I think it's, it does hit different when you think about Carlos because 
He backed up. He became the first player to win a slam after winning three five-set matches since Federer did it at the 2017 Australian Open when he beat uh, Nishikori, Vavrinka, and Nadal. And these matches, Roger doesn't play long matches. His five-setters might go, you know, four hours maximum. Yeah. Alcaraz plays long matches. That one with Sinner was um, was nine minutes off being the longest U.S. Open match ever. It was the latest finish at the U.S. Open. And you're right. You talk about the next-gen guys or the OG next-gen, as we've referred to them now, with Zverev, Tsitsipas. Alcaraz has gone past them. He has said, you know what? Yep. You guys are here. Yeah, Zverev might have beaten me at Roland Garros in, in the quarters, but you know what? I've got to slam first. I got to world number one first. And Zverev still has has a fair few years on him, which is, it, it, it's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable what Carlos has done this year. It took him, Joel, 17 weeks after entering the top 10 for the first <laughs> time to get to number one. 17. It took yeah. Roger, 78. It took Rafa over 100. It took Novak over 200. And it took Andy Murray, poor Andy Murray, 411 weeks. He did it in 17. Zverev yeah, has been in the crazy, top 10 collectively for what? Since 2017, Zverev's been in the top 10. And he summited yeah. it at number two. <laughs> but that was only this year he summited yeah. it too. It's, it's staggering. It is absolutely yeah. staggering what he's been able yeah. to do. Yeah, it's it's absolutely unreal. It's a, it's a credit to him. He's, he's just kept rising and rising. Really, probably... Since we started talking about him and he started kind of building up and winning those matches, probably maybe a year ago. Um, since then, he hasn't stopped. He's just kept building and building and building. And now he's hit the summit. And um, it's easy to see him staying there for, for a long time. But I also think it's probably an opportune chance at the moment to shout out the unfriendly ghost as well because <laughs> I, I never saw him ever being a chance of hitting world number one. Now, he didn't quite get there, but... Geez, credit to him. He he surprised everyone, I think, because he kind of he kind of just came from thin air. No pun intended, but he just oh, well done, well done to him. You know, what? Was, I, he, I love that. It's a rude awakening to the rest of the tour. That, a rude awakening, yes. And Casper Rude, what? And we we must we must talk about his tournament because he played some brilliant tennis. And the way that he got there, you know, he's he's worked so hard. He became, I think, what the first player since. One Carlos Ferrero outside of the big three to make two major finals in the same year, and that was in two thousand and three. That's oh, sorry, Andy Murray, of course, did it. Um, but yeah, uh, apart from Murray, not not many players make multiple Slam finals outside of the big three in one season. And sorry, Daniel Medvedev, of course. Sorry, now now I'm just remembering them all. Dominic team, jeez, um, <laughs> oh my god, how am I going? Um, but yeah, one of the rare few to do it since two thousand. One of the rare few, I think it was Sampras, Ferrero, Murray, Team, and Medvedev that have actually done it and made multiple slam finals that aren't Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. So the fact that he's done that, he's only 23, so he's got he's got chances to win a slam. Um, and Roland Garros is still probably his best chance. He's a good clay court player, and Rafa's not going to last forever. But now, now you look at Carlos Alcaraz and what he can do on clay. He was brought <laughs> up on clay, so I don't know. But Casper, world number two, even if he doesn't get to number one, world number two is so much better than so many other people got to. David Nalbandian, David Ferrer, Nikolai Davidenko, none of these guys ever got to world number two. And Kasper Ruud has now made as many Grand Slam finals 
as the three of those players that I just mentioned combined, which is pretty unbelievable. So it's a fantastic fortnight and a fantastic season from Casper Ruud to be at world number two after the US Open. I never thought we'd see him get this high. I thought top 10. I thought there was some severe capabilities there. I thought last year he was probably, you know, he was batting above his average a little bit, um, you know, with all due respect, um, at making the ATP finals in Turin. But no, that that was not his ceiling. He is well and truly here for the next 10 years, and I'm excited for it because he does seem like a kind player. He works hard, um, and he's got the game that's just going to be so consistent. That forehand, when he wheels around and launches at it, it's so good to watch. So Casper's going to be here for a long time. Carlos is going to be here for a long time. And we had so many other narratives on top of that. Yeah, we had the drama of Carlos. We had, you know, Casper. We had Nick Kyrgios just in sheer devastation at losing that quarterfinal to Karen Khashinov, who made his first Grand Slam semifinal. But that match in itself and Nick's tournament in itself, I think he's, I think, become the first Aussie since Leighton Hewitt in 2006 to make two Grand Slam quarterfinals in, in, in the same year. So... It's been a big step forward for Nick. It's been, you know, he said even after the Wimbledon final that he's starting to feel a bit more professional and he never thought he'd feel this way. And the the hunger that he showed that he has to wait to the Australian Open now, it kind of says that, you know what, he might be just ready to to go on and and maybe push for push for a slam. He's got the game to do it. We all know that. Yep. Yep. And he always has. He always has. I, I just think I think the the surprise with Nick is that it's it's not that he's been able to reach this point. I think it's probably how late he's been able to reach this point because, yeah, he, he's always been capable, Val. But um, as you mentioned, it's just the, I guess, the, it, you know, for lack of a better term, the professionalism, if you like. He's really started to show that this year, obviously with Wimbledon, and he's backed it up um, in, in New York as well. And um, I think we were fortunate in, in Australia that... Um, we we got to watch a lot of his matches in prime time, um, so that for us was great because we got to flick on the tennis at you know like nine a.m. or ten a.m. or whatever, and, and Nick would be on, um, and we got to have a really good look at him, and yeah, he was playing out of his skin, and um, you know maybe and this isn't to take anything away from Karen Kushinov because uh, he was brilliant as well in his own right, but um, you know maybe if, if it weren't for that injury that Nick sustained in that in that first set that, that clearly hampered him for for a little bit there. I mean, he was able to turn it around in, in that match in the next probably in the second and third sets. And that's least. how scary Nick is that he can play like that yeah. with an injury. Yeah, exactly. He was able to find something, but you know, maybe maybe um, if it weren't for that, potentially he might have won that match. But uh, yeah, I, I, like it's it's definitely foreseeable that he could win a Grand Slam now, which I, th- I think is is great because. We've spoken so much about him being like this this unfulfilled talent, really for his own doing. But now he's starting to show us exactly what he can do. And um, I think it's a great thing. And, and he's still got time on his side. Yeah, well, look at the players that it's taken to beat him at Grand Slams this year. Daniel Medvedev, who made the Australian Open final and should have won the title. And he creamed Medvedev. Yeah. Creamed him. And exactly right. At the defending champion in the fourth round, Nick destroyed him absolutely destroyed him in those final two sets. He was unbelievable. And then you look at what he was, um, uh, what the performance it took from Djokovic to beat him in the Wimbledon final. Nick was probably the better player in that second set. 
It was one service game that really cost him, and that rattled him for the rest of the match. Poor Prince George heard a lot of choice words that he's probably <laughs> never he's probably never heard them before. Um, oh, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's better he starts with Nick than than anywhere else um, uh, in the confines of his own country as well. Um, and then it took a inspired performance from Karen Khashenov, who that, and they played two epics at Grand Slams. Now after that twenty twenty Australian Open performance, um, which we actually watched together in uh, in Rosebud. Remember we were watching on our phones that night? Yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, at a campsite. Um, but, yeah, so, no, it was, yeah, an amazing performance from Karen. But, yeah, Nick, I, I think the ceiling or the platform is there now. He needs to back this up. And the question is now, the question is, is he too big for John Kane Arena? Uh, no doubt he is. No doubt he is. He is He's the big show. Everyone wants to see him. And uh, Yeah, but do they still put him at John Kane Arena? That's the question. I think yeah, Nick Curios, well, Nick is Rod Laver. Nick has to be Rod Laver Arena. Oh, uh, he's look, come the Australian Open, he's gonna be the hottest ticket in town. So yeah. it's it's gonna be interesting what they do with that. Um I think yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see what they do there because um I feel like uh they will sell abundantly more ground passes if they put Nick on John Kane Arena, whereas it's kind of a bit of a a bit of a raffle as to who you get on on Rod Laver Arena, what like what session, what night. Um, so Nick, I, I don't know. Nick like, is definitely like... the night session. He, uh, look, I think Nick's got to be yeah. Rod Laver. The more people get to see him, the more money you bring in. Yeah, the ground pass mm. could be good, but put him and Thanasi when they play doubles, put them on John Kane Arena. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants to see that. But Everyone wants to see that. I reckon Tennis Australia organisers, unfortunately for Nick... Uh, Look, I reckon if he wants to be the big show, which he is, I know he likes the fans. I know he likes the raucous atmosphere, but they will come. They will come to Rod Laver. They will buy the tickets. They will be there and watch him play because that's where you win the slams, not John Kane. You win the slams on Rod Laver. And I I think next year, the tickets for Rod Laver are going to be, it's going to be ridiculous because we're going to have Nick, we're going to have Rafa. We're, Novak looks like he's going to be able to come and play. Going to have Casper, Carlitos, he's going to be there. Not to mention all the yep. female players that we're going to get to. But, yeah, I, I really think that, yeah, it, it's it's got to be Rod Laver almost. It really has to be because Nick is the big ticket item now. Australians are starting to love him. He's playing the best tennis of his career. If it wasn't for the Wimbledon rankings points freeze, he'd be sitting at a career high ranking of number 13 now which I think is really cruel because, you know, look at where he'd be. So really interesting times ahead. Francis Tiafo, Joel, how on earth? The big foe. I was not not expecting this to happen. He comes up against Rafa. Rafa ate him for breakfast at the 2019 Australian Open in the quarterfinals. And look, Tiafo has developed his game a lot. And yeah. his net game is improved. His ground strokes, he can club that ball hard. And he was able to out-hit Rafa, which is not an easy thing to do. To beat him in four, another inspired home slam performance where he got to the fourth round last year. And, um, you know, th- this is this was a really big step forward for him. And he was so clutch in the tie breaks against Andre Rublev in the quarters. And then also against, um, against Carlos in the semis, where he won both of his tie breaks. So a really big performance from Francis Tiafo to get through to the to the semifinals. Look, the interview afterwards, I will always find bizarre why you'd interview a player that's just lost. And we'll get to yeah, I thought that was strange. We'll get yeah. to more of that with Serena afterwards. Um, 
But why? And look, Patrick McEnroe came out on on Twitter and said, "Oh, we asked him. The crowd wanted to hear from him, and he said yes." It's like, yeah, but you know what? It's just why? Why? The U.S. Open does things in a weird way sometimes, and this was <laughs> this was right at the top of the top of the pile. Yeah, Francis, they go to the beat of the drum. Yeah, it was just it was absolutely bizarre. He's just lost one of the biggest matches of his life. Can't really hold it in his emotions. Um, and he's apologizing to the crowd. Just let him go. Let him do his media commitments and get the hell out of there because I'm sure that's what he wants to do. Yeah. No, I tend to agree. I thought it was I thought it was strange. Um I don't know, also kind of maybe took the moment a little bit away from, from Carlos. Well it did because Carlos um, is doing his interview and Tiafo's still on the court. He's just made yeah. his first slam final. It's not yeah. about Tiafo. It is nowhere yeah, it's well, not yeah. Yeah, well exactly. I mean look look I I understand the intent behind it, but look, just because I think he's just because he's American, I, I don't I don't really think that that warrants an interview after he lost that match. I mean, he had a great run, and he's a local, and they love him, and he's a really cool guy. But yes, I I tend to agree. I, I did think it was a, a a bit strange, and I'd almost go as far as saying a little bit awkward as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like he's been around for twenty years on tour, and. You know, we're interviewing him after, you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe his last Grand Slam or whatever. Um, you know. Yeah. He's tw- he's young. He's going to play again. It's fine. Just calm yeah, down. Yeah. Let him go. Um, yeah, so I just thought, I thought that was a little bit strange. But the US Open does do things in weird ways, as we said. But, um, look, I-, I thought this was the most exciting men's Grand Slam tournament that we've had in, in a very long time. I thought 2020 oh, yeah. US Open dished up a lot. But that didn't have a crowd. This one had everything. The crowd were loving it. We had celebrities there and we had some classics. We really had some classics. There was, you know, Alcaraz Chilich. There was Kyrgios and Kashinov. There was the final. There was, and, and look, the best match, we must talk about it. As you said before, Sinner and Alcaraz going to have these two for the next 15 years. But what they dished up on Ash was beyond the realms of what we knew was possible. Yeah, it's it's the new Fidel. It's yeah. um, Sinkeraz. It's really just yeah. What, what are we going to call it? Sinkeraz. Um, I've I've gone with it on Twitter. Sinkeraz. Yeah, <laughs> I think Sinkeraz is good. Yeah, I like Sinkeraz. But yeah, um, yeah. Strap yourselves in, listeners, because uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of these too, and I I'm all for it. I can't wait. Yeah. No, neither can I. It's going to be it's going to be awesome, and I'm so excited to see what those two are going to produce. They're already at two and two in their rivalry in the head-to-head. They've played four times in the last year, and um, you know Wimbledon was really good. The four setter that they played there, and the final of Umag was really good as well. But this this took the cake, and this is I, I've we've watched a lot of tennis over the years, and we've been privileged enough to see the big three at the height of their powers and play some of the greatest tennis matches of all time. This was better than most of it. This was one of the top three matches I think I've ever watched in my life. And it was like 2017, Roger and Rafa, that was probably the best because both of them both of them looked good. But it had nothing on the the time. The, the, the sheer length of the match was nowhere near this. And the drama that this one had was, was unbelievable. No one saved a match point in that one. This just had absolutely everything. And the shot making from the two... I don't know where they were able to pull things from or how they were able to get to certain shots, but they managed to do it. And yeah, credit to both of them. And I, I really hope that we get to see these two um, face off on our shores very, very soon, Joel, because she said it'd be exciting. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Fingers really crossed. Was. 
It really will. Well, that's the men's tournament wrapped up. We've got the women's. We've got Igish Fiontech and on Jabor. We're going to talk about all of them coming up right after this on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Val Ferbo and Joel Frugge taking you through all the happenings from Flushing Meadows at the US Open, and it was such a wonderful tournament as we discussed on the men's side. The women's side was just as good because Iga Fiontech, while she continued to solidify why she is the world number one and why she is far and away the best women's player in the world because she obliterated the field yet again. She still hasn't dropped a set in a final. Um, I think she's, what, 20 and 0 or something in finals in sets uh, on her last 10 finals or something like that, something ridiculous. I think Onjabor yeah. was the first in this streak of finals wins to even get four games off her in a set in the second set. So Iga, an amazing win, an amazing tournament again from her. She wins her second major of the year and goes uh, gets her third. Now, what's the ceiling, Joel? Where do you see her getting? Because at the moment, it's taken some pretty unbelievable... Well, this year, it took Danielle Collins to obliterate her off the court at the Australian Open. And then at Wimbledon, she um she she fell early. Um, The grass is probably the one place she needs to develop on. But she went on a 37-match winning streak. She's on fire. Yeah, she is on fire. Um, What's going to stop her? Well, I think, I think we've seen what's going to stop her. And that's just pure power. Um, mm. And... I think that's the one thing on on the women's like in the women's game that really can can stop the best rallies. I mean, we saw it for so long with Serena, and that's not to say that um, you know she was a one trick pony with power. Absolutely not the case. But um, it just it, it it shows that if you if you possess that power, you've got you've got such an upper hand on everyone else. Um, and if you can keep it between the lines consistently consistency and power, um, then your your head and shoulders above everyone else. Because we see we see the power from a few of the ladies, like obviously Danielle Collins, we've seen it a lot this year. Um, and Arena Sabalenka as well is probably the one that comes to mind where she has all the power in the world, but um, just can't seem to do it consistently enough to, to really um, you know crack that ceiling that she wants. But so I, th- I think probably to beat Eager, that's what, these women need is just is just pure power because the variety that she has can kind of negate most of the of the games that you see around on WTA at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right, and and it's always been that way, hasn't it? The the power yeah. is always you know power and precision. You're right, the consistency, but yeah, Arena. I don't Sab- think it's ever changed. Really. And Arena Sabalenka, she's got that power. The firepower is there. The problem is up here. She yeah. implodes yeah. mentally more than a lot of players that I've seen. And look, yeah, Jessica Pagula, she pushed Igish Fiontech in that second set. But even that one, the quarterfinal, you're not going to be sending that one to the history books because Pagula just, she, she imploded on her own serve and Fiontech, um imploded on hers. So it was, th- that was a bizarre matchup. And then Sabalenka had um, Fiontech down a set, but, Iga is just so good at getting balls back and she really switches on mentally. And then on Jabot is the variety, that difference, that point of difference. Yeah. And yeah, she got her to a tie break, but she didn't win. Iga Fiontech mentally is just so good. 
Yeah, and, and I think I think I think Eager as well has had the upper hand on on most of the women in that sense as well because she started so so early with all that um, you know sort of all the all the sports psychology stuff where it's probably so like ingrained and routine for her now that it's basically second nature and yeah. the fact that she's been able to do it so young it's just again it's just another thing that's you know put her way above everyone else yeah and she walks out there and she knows she's gonna win she knows and she just yeah. says you know what? i'm walking out here and you know what i'm gonna win this is mine yeah she's, i'm not she's losing i'm a winner now. she's and become a winner now. the most ridiculous part of this joel the most ridiculous part of her season we started this year thinking ash barty was going to probably romp home in the world number one race so Anjabor is second in the rankings on 5,090 points. She could double that and still not be world number one. Oh, gosh. He got 10,365 points. That's That's ridiculous. That is insane. You've got, my word, so you've got Iga Sviantek and then Simona Halep is number nine in the world. And she is the only other Grand Slam winner in the top 10 at the moment. It's it's insane what Eager has done. Annette Contivate is third in the rankings. She's only 4,300 points. It's, it's nuts what she's been able to put together in 2022 and just win after win after win. Um, yeah, an amazing tournament from, from her. And Anjabur, another Grand Slam final. Unfortunately for her, another defeat. Um, you know, she's getting ever closer and closer and closer. Um, next year, I think, is big for her. I really think she does need to catch cash in because um, things can be very inconsistent in the WTA and you've got to make hay yeah. while the sun shines and she's got the game to do it. Um, but the problem is on a on a, on a a hard court, Igish Fiontek is starting to find her range and has done so. So where do you see Ons... Um, can you see her doing it next year? Is Wimbledon the big target for her? Yeah, I mean, I can see her doing it. Um, it's because yeah, I can too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. She's got to find a way to to knock off Eager, and there's no doubt that. Um, I, I mean, surely she'll go to work with with her team and and sort of look at um, where she thinks she might be able to exploit her. Um, but look, there's no doubt that. Yeah, she'll want to act quickly because, um, as as we've seen so many times, um, in both the men's and women's games, you don't want to leave your run too late um, because it, it more than anything it it weighs on people mentally, and you don't want that because then it just becomes further and further uphill. And um, yeah, I think I think Ons is, um, and I'm sure you'll agree, Val. Ons is too good a player and. And too good a person as well, I think, to, yep. to go without success. I think everyone wants to see her win, win a slam. I think, yeah, that she's the, that one player or one of the players that's absolutely universally loved, and she does deserve one. I'd love to see Anjibor win a slam because she's a trailblazer in, in her part of the world, in Tunisia. You know, she's the first Arab woman to do a lot of things on a tennis court, and, and it's so impressive the path that she has paved for so many young women and so many people out there in that region. And, um, and, and yeah, I really hope that Anjabur does get the success because she does deserve it as a person, um, not just as a tennis player. And, um, I want to talk about Caroline Garcia. Unreal yes. run, winning Cincinnati and then making a run to the semifinals at the US Open, a maiden Grand Slam semifinal. She's back inside the top 10 for the first time since 2018. It's been 
awesome to watch her to watch her play. And you know, to beat Coco Goff in um in straight sets, she defeated some really solid players. Unfortunately, ran into Ons in the semis, and I was really surprised that Ons wiped her off the court in the way that she did in an hour and six minutes. But um, yeah, a great tournament from her and uh, fly with Caro. Well, that hashtag has been uh, has been going for a long time, and well, that stratosphere is uh, is just getting a little bit larger now. Yeah, and I, I was going to say a bit of a revival for for Caro, but she's twenty eight. Mm. What she's she's still young in, yep. in tennis terms. I mean, maybe maybe not to the point of. Um, you know the lady that we've been we've been talking about ad nauseum, which is eager. Um, but you know, twenty eight is is far from old. She's still got a lot of time left, and she's she's kind of finding her feet again at at the perfect time. Um, just still, I think would consider herself in her prime. Um, and yeah, I mean to beat Coco Golf on Ash, um, that 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 takes something. Another another American favorite, and. Um, you know, regardless of where she's playing, um, difficult to beat. So, yeah, fantastic run for Caro. It's going to be interesting to see if she can keep backing it up, though. I think that's the thing. Yeah, I agree. I, and and that's the thing. Um, uh, with with Caro, I reckon this is one where she just needs to keep playing this good tennis. She can she can push at the end of the year. She's in that rich vein of form in the Australian Open, I think, would be one that she's really targeting the French woman. So great to see her back playing some good tennis. Another cup, um, one person I do want to touch on before we get to Serena, Joel. Isla Tomjanovic, amazing. Second yep. successive quarterfinal at a slam after Wimbledon. Unfortunately, ran into Onjabor, another person that's run into Ons and couldn't get a set off there. But six four seven six, nearly two hours, played so well and became just the second Australian woman to beat Serena Williams at a Grand Slam, which I thought it was was quite stunning. So to get through to another major quarterfinal, she's playing some brilliant tennis. Yeah, and uh, what was what was fantastic about that um, was just the way that she carried herself and, yeah. and held her nerve. Um, it's, it's as far as tennis goes, it's, it's really difficult to remember um, sort of too many uh, one-sided uh, crowds and, you know, fair enough too, because obviously, um, you know, all those matches that, that Serena did play at the U S open, obviously all had the potential of being her swan song. Mm. Um, and, you know, being an American, I mean, she was, she's always loved, in the States, um, but that was always going to happen. Um, but just the way that Isla dealt with that, I thought was fantastic. And she deserves a lot of, a lot of credit for, uh, for that. And just being able to stay calm and composed and, and block out not only the crowd noise, but also um, I guess the, the, like the, the theater of, you know, all the, like the, um, uh, like the the goat signs on the electronic um, hoardings and all that mm. sort of thing, like it, it was, um, and, and fair enough too. Like everything was about Serena. That occasion was all about Serena. Um, and didn't we hear she it? It was almost, yeah, we were, yeah, exactly. Um, Isla was almost like an extra to to the show, um, and yeah, she was able to keep her like hold her nerve, and well, in the end, she she did her thing and marched on. The best thing I think Isla did, she was down four love in that second set to come back and push her to a tiebreak, even though she didn't win it. That was the point where she won the match because yeah, well said. she made Serena come out and play another set. And 
all the effort, all the energy that it took to get Serena to actually force a third set was too much. And she couldn't get the job done. And I really thought Isla was so impressive. And, and, and that's how she had to think of it. That's how she did think of it. All she had to do was, you know, just fight in that second set and show that she wasn't going to be an easy beat. And she certainly wasn't, which I thought was so impressive um, from the Australian. And she joined Sam Stozer as the only Australians to beat Serena at a Grand Slam. And I thought that was awesome that an Australian, after Serena was beat down on this country for so many years, um, has put the nail in the coffin. Also, we thought so. The question now is, when does Serena retire? She mentioned the Australian Open and how successful she's been there over the years, and maybe that could be the swan song. We don't know. Um, but look, in all honesty, Joel, yes, she's been a wonderful player. She's been such a brilliant player on court. People are very quick to forget. They're very, very quick to forget. And I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't. I can't. The entitled nature of how she does things, um, the, the interview, the on-court interviews. That I saw a TikTok of um, a, of an American person comparing her and Rafael Nadal, and Nadal full of praise for Fabio Fonini, full of praise for his opponent, humble humility, the, the epitome of what we love in Rafa. And then you have Serena. Um, they ask her, you know. Um, you know, did you think you'd win today um, when she beat Annette Contivate? And she goes, well, you know, I'm Serena. Me, 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 me. And then you look back at the 2018 final when she played Osaka and what happened there, the whole cheating saga. What, you don't... The fact that she used her child as an excuse and then telling a linesman she's going to shove a ball down her throat. I'm sorry, how do people forget this? And how, how do people idolize this you can't this behavior is something that can never be excused i'm sorry and i think that yeah i, I don't know I, I think the serena the serena narrative was overdone and the godlike stature that they held her that they held her in i thought that was i thought that was way too far i really thought that was uh yeah look i i agree to an extent um like and she Stephanie. should be celebrated. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, of but course. Yeah. The 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 way it was done, I thought was overkill. Yeah, maybe. Um Yeah, look, I think I think though we're gonna look at it through the lens that I don't think we're ever gonna see another uh another female champion um in tennis like we will with Serena. Um she was. She really was one of a kind, just in terms of what she brought um, to the court, the way that she played, the qualities that that she possessed. I think we've got to look at it through through that lens, um, and, and I hope that you know, whenever she does retire, I, I would have thought that the U.S. Open would be the perfect swan song, personally. But this is the um, thing. This is the. It's like so. Hang on. Are you going to retire or not? What are you doing? Yeah. And then she brings yeah. up this quote about Tom Brady. And trying to keep oh, it. Yeah. So, what what are your intentions? This is the thing, and the fact that you're delaying things, and you know, I think she's at a crossroads of what she actually wants to do. So, you know, where what's the angle here? Yeah, look, I look when it comes to retirement with Serena, I I'm a big believer in in sport that um, 
when when you feel like it might be your time, and look, I've I've never been an athlete other than um, you know, obviously I'm a I'm a you know I'm, I'm a fantastic uh, Tuesday night um, men's tennis pizza eater and beer drinker, um, but. Look, I'm a, I'm a really big believer as a fan looking onto the the field or the court or wherever it is that um, when an athlete feels like it might be their time, it probably is their time. And when they make a call, they should definitively definitively stick to it. I'm not I'm not really a huge fan of athletes coming back um, and 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 sort of you know making this this comeback or having this renaissance because I feel like it doesn't really work out all that often. Um, and definitely in a, in a case like Serena. Um, yeah, it's pretty clear that she's not the player that she once was. And there's no doubt that on a good day, she'd still be able to beat a lot of players on the WTA. But um, I, I just can't help but feel like if she if she bites off more than she can chew, um, it's kind of going to sort of bring down her legacy and um, kind, of, kind of really, I guess, take away what she should be remembered for. And that's the Serena at her absolute peak where she could just smack anyone like off the court into the next suburb. Um, and, you know, I think it'd be a real shame if that got lost. And if she keeps playing, um, I feel like maybe that would be the case. Um, that said, though, like, um, I actually wouldn't mind seeing um, Serena and Venus maybe go, go on on the, on the double circuit. But um, I think in as far as singles is concerned, I think this is a great time for Serena just to hang up the racket, um, you know, Use the U.S. Open that's just gone as her swan song. She had the the interview on the court when Isla beat her. Um, yeah, you know, the the theater was all about her. Um, I mean, for me, this just makes sense. I, I think it would actually be a bit of a shame if if she kept going. Yeah, I think so as well. She's had the swan song, and she said that. Well, I don't know. It was it was like a goodbye to her, and it was the U.S. Yeah, Open's yeah. chance to say goodbye, but. The fact that we don't know and we're still lingering over it, I don't know, it just irritates me. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer like you that if you say you're going to do it, say when you're going to do it and just do it. Don't delay yeah. it. Don't, you know, it's the same with, with any of them. And I think this is why Roger's trying to get back so that he can say the proper goodbye. But I'm not sure whether Roger will actually get to because of the injuries that he's in. And I, I, I hope he does. And I, unfortunately, I hope the day never comes, but I think it's very, very soon. But... Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I think Serena has been such a wonderful player and there were players, you know, she'd come up against them and then half an hour later, they'd be on the plane back home, um, because she just absolutely obliterated them off the court. But yeah, I don't know. There's still some things about Serena where they talk about her humility and how humble she was. I still, there's a few things on the court. I, I just think you need to call things as they are a great champion of this sport, but the ogling about her personality on it, on court, I think was a little bit overstretched. And the proof in the pudding yeah. was nothing that I've said, but actions that she has that she has undertaken. So, yeah, I don't know. I, look, it, it is sad to see her go because it's another sort of another great going. But, you know, I, I just I thought it was a little bit oversold in, in terms of the in terms of the drama of it all and the theatre of it all. But who am I to judge? Yeah, and um, I don't know. I kind of feel like we've got to uh, apply the uh, the Nelly Furtado principle here. All good things must come to an end. So. Yeah, I think so. So, Serena Williams, congratulations on on a wonderful career, and 
who knows when it's going to end? We don't quite know, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure it out soon. I think that the, the reasoning was she does want to have another kid, so um, so it'd be interesting to see if that happens, when that happens, if that does happen soon. I guess that means she has definitely retired, and I don't think we'll see her back on a tennis court. But uh, but you never know, Joel. It's time for the Benoit of the week, and um, yes, we haven't done this in a while. It's been been a fair while since probably Wimbledon, but um. Yeah, I can't even remember who our last one was. It's been it's can you? I actually oh, cannot remember. No, it's been that long. Yeah, it's been a it's while. Been like, I, yeah, I usually log them, but I've completely forgotten to. But look, I I want to give this one out and it's a bit of a somber one because I want to give it to Queen Elizabeth II. Now, you may be a monarchist, you might you might not be. You might be in favor of a republic. But you can't deny that as a person what she's done and the effect that she's had on so many people and the wide amount of respect that she's got, not just from monarchists, but anybody around the world. She was unbelievable. She fell just short of the longest reigning monarch in the history of the world in terms of Louis King Louis the 14th of France was just under two years ahead of her in terms of, um, in terms of how long he was the reign. He was, um he was in power for, and yeah, Queen Elizabeth over 70 years and, um, a very very dark day, but um, f- for the world. But to see um, to see that the send off that she's getting is uh, is widely deserved, and um, she's been a remarkable woman for so many for so many years. And yeah, her sense of duty and honour um, was yeah was unparalleled. Yep, well said, Rip Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> Rip Lizzie. Um, yeah, I was asking where Lizzie was when I was at Buckingham Palace. She didn't obviously like. You know, she she should know that the host of Breakpoint Podcast was coming, <laughs> um, but she was in Balmoral and I never got to meet her. So, look, I'm disappointed about that. I'm not going to lie; I'm a bit disappointed in her that she didn't make the appearance when Rachel and I were at Buckingham Palace. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to get to have that conversation now. But, um, yeah, look, she was, uh, yeah, she was wonderful, and um, yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, Charles can do uh, half as good a job as what she did because uh, she was she was pretty unbelievable. But uh, on that note, we must end, Joel. And thank you very much for being another part, or well, not another part, a part of the show again. And <laughs> I've missed doing this with you. We need to do it more more often. It's been um, very sporadic with a lot of travel for the both of us. But um, but no, it has been um, it has been so much fun. Yeah, no, it has been, mate. Um, yeah, don't be a stranger. I want to see you again soon. Yeah, I know. Neither, well, so do I. You don't be a stranger. Make sure that arm's okay, and you can, uh, and uh, and we can uh, we can get things uh, started up again very soon. But uh, no, it's been a pleasure, Joel. Thank you very much. This has been Val Febo and Joel Fritchie on Breakpoint Podcast. Carlos Alcaraz and Igis Fiontech. Congratulations to them. Remember, you can subscribe via Wooshka, Anchor, Apple. Uh, where are the, where are the other podcasts? Spotify, um, or wherever you get your podcasts from, we're on there. You can find us, and also Facebook Breakpoint Podcast at uh, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast as well. This is Val Febo and Joel Fritchie. We'll catch you next time.